Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf, as ever. Brought to you thanks to the folks at Seed Golf Balls. So check them out at www.seedgolf.com. Whilst you're here, and if you like this episode or other episodes, please leave a review where you can, so over at Apple Podcasts, most likely. If you want to learn more, listen to back episodes, or indeed become part of the Paddy Talks community, head over to paddygolf.com. Join the timesheet over there for random giveaways. Believe me, they are random. And some competitions. Now, let's get to why you're really here this week's episode. And we have Tom Hayward, the tour director of the Clutch Pro Tour, which in the not-so-distant future will be coming to Ireland. But first, as Gabe Byrne would have said, roll it there, Colette. Joe Brawley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Brawley? What did he get at? On this week's show, uh, we have a, a man who was a professional golfer for eight years and, and is still professional and aspiring to reach the European Tour in, in October 2018, though. He founded and has been the tournament director of the Clutch Pro Tour, a new and pro golf tour offering unique incentives to developing professionals. That's a hell of a tagline. Tom Hayward, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. It's great to talk to you. I know, same as. So, Tom, where are you from? Brighton, England. So I live um, just west of Brighton at the moment, so it's, you know, as far south as you can get. Um, but yeah, that's where I've been. I've, I travelled all over the UK playing mini tours up, and, up until 2018, so it's, um, it's been a bit of a jump into the events world now, and it's, it's going well so far. So. No, Daddy, we will start from, we'll start from the first page of the puzzle. So like, what, what would have been your earliest memory of golf? Playing in the garden at my grandparents' house. My grandparents, funny enough, my mum and dad now live live in the property, but um, it's my grandparents' house. They had what we what we used to call a field. It was like three and a half acre gardens. So it was a lovely space, um, and I just remember going down there bashing balls when I was a little kid. Um, dad had dad had a little, little allotment up there, so we used to drive to my grandparents, and my dad could use the allotment, and I used to bash golf balls. So that's that was my earliest memory. And that's that's like a win win situation right there. Perfect. Yeah. So, so up through the ranks, um, how, how old were you when, you when you turned pro yourself? Uh, 21. So my golfing, my golf journey, not to bore you, was pretty a weird one. Like I played when I was really young. Then I didn't play any golf really through school, nothing. Then at university, my focus was rugby, football and cricket. Um, and then I kind of just took golf back up after about a 10-year absence when I was 21. And then turned pro when I was like 23. Um, then had like six, seven years on the mini tour development tours and then now running events so that's a hell of a journey so how was the body after playing a bit of rugby how did the swing react after playing rugby <laughs> the, the body then was a damn sight better than it is now <laughs> it was it, to be fair it was quite a, yeah you're not as after playing rugby for so many years and playing you know physical contact sports obviously the big thing you have to work on is mobility and flexibility as opposed to like your strength and you know, your strength is there. There's no issues with strength and the amount of power you can generate. It's all about movement and then using the body in the right way. So that was the biggest thing. Like I used to work really hard with physios and stuff like that to increase range of movement. Like my shoulders, I had terrible mobility in my shoulders. Um, 
which is obviously not ideal when you're a rugby player and stuff. So, I'm sorry, when you're a golfer. So that transition was tricky. But in terms of the power and speed and stuff, there was never any issues there. It was just trying to create a bit more flexibility. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, I wish I was back in that shape now because then I might still be able to play a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with having half a pizza in it and a half a litre of red wine now and then, just as long as it's not every second night. Yeah, um, half a pizza would be okay. I was being good to myself there. Yeah. Um, but come here to me. So you you travelled around the mini tours for the first few years of, of your pro career. So we're talking Jamaica tours. That's South Africa. Am I right in thinking that? No, no, no. Jamaica's England. Oh, England and TP tours. So they're both UK tours. Yeah, they're both UK based tours. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose what was your what was your experience of them having aspirations of getting up to the top tour? Um, and I suppose is there anything different you would have done? traversing those tours in those first couple of years? Um, I, I mean, running events like I do now, I've got, I've got a lot more respect for the mini tours than I did have. I mean, when you're a pro and you're, you're kind of wrapped up in it, um, you do have a bit of an ego and you think you know everything and you don't, really, you don't appreciate how easy it is to, um, to run the events. You think it's very easy. You think there's a lot more they should be doing, but budgets are always tight and it's way more complicated. So that's that's a tricky one, but um, moving like you know, looking at it now, those tours are great. They're such a great stepping stone. Um, yeah, there was obviously moving into the events. There's obviously a lot I would change about them because that's what I tried to do in my own business. Um, but that's not trying to be too critical of them because they gave me a great platform, like all the mini tours do. I think in the UK actually, in the, well in England especially, you're actually sport for choice now if you're a developing professional golfer because there's so many opportunities out there. Yeah, the money's not great in all of them. But if you're looking for somewhere just to play and hone your game, there are loads of opportunities out there. Um, and then I played on those types of tours for a couple of years, obviously developed onto Euro Pro, and then I played Alps Tour and played on Pro Golf Tour, uh, sorry, Portugal Pro Golf Tour in Portugal, played on ADT in Asia, um, did a bit of everything really. So, I mean, I don't know, I really liked traveling. And then back then I didn't have kids, so I didn't have children, I didn't have a family to worry about. Um, and I love going away. I love the experience of going to different places, playing different golf courses, kind of immersing yourself in the in the location that you were in and stuff. And I really enjoyed that. No, deadly. So like you've experienced a vast array of, of tours and different facilities and courses. So but what was the compelling event that spurred you to develop your own in the Clutch Pro Tour? I'd always wanted to. To be fair, Jamaica Pro Golf Tour had always been very good to me. Like I'd had a good close associations with them and I'd actually worked under them for a little bit helping them set up the tournaments and what have you um so I kind of had an understanding of certain aspects of it but then in 2018 I missed um I missed a spot in second stage of Q school by one shot I bogeyed the last hole typical typical golfer story like I'd been to I got through to finals of open I got through to finals of European talk school before but 2018, I missed one shot. I uh, missed the first stage by one shot, bogeyed the last hole. I had my family with me, funnily enough. Weirdly, my family, at that point, I did, at the end of my career, I did have two kids. Um, and my family never traveled with me, but I had a really good time at that event. Like They were there staying in the hotel on site with me. I was very relaxed. And to be honest, I was hitting it terrible, but I was really confident that week. I was just in one of those places where it didn't really matter where I was hitting it. I just always felt like I was going to get up and down. I felt very, very comfortable. Anyway bogey the last hole missed by one and then having your kids there and stuff I don't know it made me think 
I don't know. It made me think longer about, you know, or why, you know, look at the bigger picture. What do I need to do? Try and, I don't know, forge something that can be a bit more secure for our family. Um, so that's where it really came from. That was the defining moment, really. But to start with, Clutch was designed as a way of me raising some money to get back and playing myself. So there was, you know, I thought I was almost using it as like my own golf day, run some pro events, raise some money, and then I can get back playing myself. But then when we ran our first couple of events in 2019, uh, there was obviously really good feedback and people were asking for more and more of the events. And that's, that's kind of how it grew straight away. So when you start with your couple of events, so it's like how I address sometimes some things I do at work in terms of I'll take what something someone else was successful with, but then I'll tweak some things and it will be really successful. So is there anything when you um, started and, and, and continue to do, is there anything that you saw there was a, you know, there was something you could ramp up or maybe take away that actually adds a lot to the event? Yeah, money. Um Money helps. Money in the general. <laughs> yeah, money. I mean, especially for these boys because they, they commit so much time, energy, and they you know they commit so much in every different in every different aspect of life really to get to where they want to get to in the world of golf. And I feel like as a although there are good opportunities out there, I still feel like sometimes you're shortchanged. So money, put the guys playing for more money was was something that I wanted to do. Um, and just generally the whole, the overall experience, I wanted to, even though my events are a mini tour event, like I want them to be as close to a tour event as they possibly can. So like yesterday we had an event at West Surrey, players turn up, they play for a bit more money than what they normally play for, for that same kind of level of entry fee. Um, we work harder with the golf clubs, I believe, than other tours to try and get the course in as good a condition as possible. We set the golf courses up ourselves. It's not the green staff setting it up and putting crazy pins out there. We take a lot of time looking at all of that. We hire referees, we give the players breakfast, we give the players lunch, they get gift bags on the first tee, all that sort of stuff. So all the little things to try and, all the little one percenters to try and build it into a, you know, overall so that the experience is more enjoyable. No, like I'm, I'm watching from afar, I suppose, and my chat with Mark McDonald a few weeks ago led me to dig a bit deeper and not just see and like the post, but like dig into the stories and the pros that are playing on it. Um, well, there seems to be a lot of support and partnerships involved. So can you describe, I suppose, how you went about getting those or, or maybe just the, the support they provide the tour? Yeah, well, obviously, if just as a, as a tour yourself, like you're only, we're a small bunch of people running events. So without other people on board, there's, you're limited to what you can do. So my first thing was setting about trying to get some, some of the bigger brands or recognized brands in golf on board. Um, and then outside of that, other brands that are kind of linked to the, you know, the sports industry and so that we could give different gifts away and different incentives away. So, I mean, we've got a huge range of product sponsors. That's what, you know, product partners. So we've got people like Wow Hydrate on board who are, you know, our hydration partners. Then we've had support from people like the Protein Ball Company. They offer great snacks for the players on the first tee. Then Cobra Puma, um, Mizuno. I mean, they've been really interesting, Cobra Mizuno, because most most people would say that they're, they're you know, they're kind of competition for one another but they've both been brilliant in seeing the vision of the tour and being able to work with each other and with us at the same time so they've not seen it as a conflict and they've both given us huge incentives for our players um, so they've kind of almost worked alongside each other which is really refreshing to see because I think that's one of the biggest issues I always felt there was in golf is that no one was willing to work with each other and kind of if you you know I always thought that if you work together things are going to be better 
Whereas I think in golf, everyone tries to do their own little thing. Um, if they worked with each other, it could be a lot bigger and better than what it is. So I think that's been like a really refreshing attitude from two really good brands in Mizuno and Cobra Puma. They've worked with us and worked together to try and provide our players with great incentives. And then we've got everything from CBD companies involved, like 4-5 CBD. We've got Pulse Roll. They've been brilliant. Um, yeah, there's kind of too many to mention right away. But like Bushnell come on board the last few months. They've offered great product incentives for our players. So, I mean, I just thought it was important because, like I said, I, can't, I can only give the players so much. Um, you know, we can offer them prize money and what have you. But those guys kind of, they, they, they offer all the finishing touches, which makes the whole product sell much better as a, as a total if you know as, a, as an overall package they kind of create the package for us so that's great so what have been the challenges then like to overcome and like we had a quick chat before we press recording that you like it's been crazy you know yeah. been crazy but it's like what have been i suppose the main challenges you've had to try and get over or uh, thus far getting clubs on side um obviously you know there's a yeah i'm sure everyone's been talking but you know Covid's dominated the um, dominated the world for the last few months, but obviously you had those issues to come over. But that's no different to any other business with all the PPE and just taking safe precautions. But just from a normal events business, the hardest thing's been the hardest thing to do has been working with the venues, um, making sure that you can get good venues, getting the venues to buy into what your vision is. Because again, pro golf, in my opinion, there's like a really there's a really big push for women's golf at the moment which I think is obviously, you know, it's well overdue and it's been fantastic. And we've been offering, we've been offering um, opportunities to women for the last year and a half. But even, even, you know, put the women to a side for one second, the opportunities for men, yeah, there are a few opportunities, but they're still not that great. Like your average mini tour event is held on a pretty low standard of golf course, your average mini tour event. So these guys are trying to get to the top level. And when they do get to the top level, they're going to be playing on really testing golf courses. So if they're, if they're playing on poor golf courses when they're developing, well, how are they how are their games going to be sharp enough and good enough when they get to the top level? So, getting good golf courses and greatly designed golf courses that are in good condition on board has been really tricky because obviously there comes a cost. You know, there's a cost factor there. So again, we've had to work really hard with sponsors to try and get sponsors to help us cover the cost of the golf clubs because we don't get them free. You know, it's one of the misconceptions that. That's a massive oh, more, misconception, more yeah. <laughs> that, you know, anyone running a golf day that the course is free. <laughs> yeah, they're like modest golf. You know, everyone's like, oh, modest golf's helping clutch. They must be getting courses for free. It doesn't work like that. You know, it doesn't work like that. So um, so we've got a fantastic event next year that's going to be happening at Mark's Home Club. Um, but, the, you know, the golf clubs themselves are businesses. So rightly so, they need to be paid themselves. So... Um, but it's just trying to get, it's just, all it is is trying to get everyone to buy into the project. Why are you running it? Why are you doing it? What's the benefits of it? Um, and particularly this year after COVID, some of the bigger tours like EuroPro haven't been able to operate and I fully understand, fully understand their decisions for that. But then without opportunities like that, a lot of these lads are jobless because again, if guys are trying to make it to the top level, they've committed to it full time and rightly so. So without tournaments they've got no opportunity to earn any cash so i kind of feel like we've had a pretty important role this year no deadly like i i would have had a quick chat with um the guys running europe law so daniel godding because they have a pro-am in ireland the last few years in Faris, and he was saying um well at the time so this might be two years out of date but anyway um like he sees the growth of the tour 
Um, he sees it each day, each week through the analytics, through social media, you know, in terms of yeah. that's how he measures it. So like the insights, the reach, you know. So how would you look to manage, I suppose, the impact or, or have you seen that already for Clutch? Yeah, I mean, again, with, I mean, that was the biggest thing for me. Like I knew that, you know, Typically, everyone had an email database, but they're, they're virtually useless now. So everything we do is now through social media. Obviously, we do email our players, but our biggest tool is using social media because the guys are on it the whole time. So that's how we try and communicate with our audience the most. Um, and obviously, monitoring that reach and the engagement that you're getting with your with your audience is massive. So that's, you know, our, our followings on all accounts are growing weekly. Um, Yesterday we had content live, so we broke a record yesterday for live streaming. We had over 150,000 views, so that was really good, just for one tour. What was that on? What was that on? 150,000 views on? That was so. There's a platform called Content Live Golf. So they're a streaming company, and they stream our events. So it gets streamed through Facebook. Um, so it goes through. It goes through. So we, so some of our sponsors, for example, Mizuno, they stream it through their Facebook page, Golf Monthly, National Club Golfer. So. Yesterday, I mean, that was only the that was only the figures on the day, so that probably that you know that could go over two hundred grand, uh, two hundred thousand, uh, two hundred thousand views. But we, yeah, so we had that, you know, that things like that. You know, when we started that off, the first event we did in June, we were getting sixty thousand views through that platform. But then as that's grown, as the following's grown, that's now up to one hundred fifty thousand. So things like that. That's how we're monitoring it. And yeah, it's, it's all, uh, to be honest, I'm not very tech savvy. You know, <laughs> I you know I I do my best. Um, but I'm sure I'm missing a few tricks with how to reach people better and engage with them more. But um, unfortunately, we're kind of limited a little bit to what we can do. I would be on this podcast is definitely not one of those ways. That's the only reason I said yes. <laughs> it's a very niche market it will reach. We'll put it yeah. like that. Um, but I suppose what, what priorities would you have so over the next six months or to finish out this season? Um, like growth strategy, you could almost say, over the next six months. Is it to follow the current kind of infrastructure you have or have you new ideas that you'd love to bring to the table? Yeah, so this year we're going to do, we've got three more events left this year. Um, we've got two Challenge Tour qualifiers. So I think the Association to the European Tour helps. Like, you know, we've, we're working closely with them providing bigger and better opportunities all the time. So that's really important. Then we're going to run a winter series to keep people engaged through, you know, through the winter and winter and autumn months. I mean, they lost the first part of the season. So I think guys have still got enough, enough money to keep competing. So keep guys engaged that way. Um, and then we're going to try and do some events abroad after Christmas. Um, but yeah, I mean, we need to look at that more, to be honest, like how we're going to, you know, from the end of the season, through the winter months, how are you going to keep people excited and how are you going to keep building it? Um, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of work behind the scenes to bring on more partners and try and get a title sponsor for every event next year so that you can kind of create more of an appealing schedule, offer more money to the players. We can earn some more money and, and all sorts and just grow it in every way that we can. But yeah, obviously we've got to think closely about how we're going to keep the players interested through the winter months when they're not actually competing with us. No, deadly. Because I know like a lot of Irish amateurs would treat... Alps, for example, as like a testing ground before they turn yeah. pro, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so like so Roland Malani did it, and I suppose James Sugru might go at that version as well, and Robin Dawson did it, etc. And they're like, you know, challenge tour-ish level and, and really, really close to, to European tour caliber in terms of get, you know, you're only two scores away from a good week, you know. Yeah, um, 
So I suppose the question would be is if I was a top amateur, if that's a big fucking if as well, right? <laughs> so if I'm a newly turned pro like you are in 2012, how does membership work with the Clutch Tour? So membership's free. So whether you're a pro, whether you're an amateur, you know, we tried to do a few things differently as well. Like, like to 2018, the year I finished playing, I think I spent 1500 quid on memberships for different tours. So that was one of the first things I wanted to do. I wanted to scrap all of that, make it completely open access that anyone could join. Um, and that even if someone did join, if they got, you know, a bit of an injury or they lost their confidence, they didn't feel compelled, you know, they didn't feel obliged that they had to play just because they paid a higher membership fee. So we scrapped all of that. So you literally just become a member of Clutch Pro Tour for free. Um, to be honest, it's just a data gathering exercise for us that we you know make guys fill out a form and we get their contact details so that we can keep them updated with what's coming up. And then, yeah, if if the if an amateur is um, if an amateur has a handicap of one or or less, they compete straight with the pros, so they get paired with the pros. Um, and if even for higher amateurs, we've got guys that come in with a handicap of four or five, we pair them together at the back of the field. They get exactly the same treatment. They get exactly the same experience, but they just compete together at the end of the tournament. Um, amateurs are playing for order of merit ranking points as well, so they play for they. You know, they can if an amateur comes and plays, they can still win the challenge tour starts. Um, so again, there's still great opportunity there for development. Um, but never knew that now. No, so that's no, that's good. a nugget. Yeah. yeah, that's really yeah, good. It's, yeah, it's really good, and they can. They can, you know, if they come along and win that, then they get into Challenge Tour. And if they go and do well there, then it's no different to the pro's career. It can snowball. Um, but obviously, with it being amateur, the costs are, the costs are, are way down because they're not competing for the prize money. Um, so, you know, where we've got an major next week, which is 400 quid as a Challenge Tour qualifier. I mean, for amateurs, that's only cost them 100 pounds, but they get exactly the same treatment. They get the practice around to get everything. Oh, deadly. So then on the other side, if I'm like um, a tier one or even like a tier two golf course, you know, so yeah. in Ireland, I'd put like the Island or Port Marnock Gold or Le Hinch or Waterville as yeah. a tier one and then, or like Port Rush. And then a tier two, like would be where like the top amateur event would be, but like a pro event mightn't, mightn't have the capacity. So um, the golf courses know who they are. I won't name it. Like, yeah, I won't, I won't name it, but like, if I was a course and I was like, I want to grow this course's brand as well. So let's get Euro Pro or let's get Clutch here. What what do they need to do to, to get, you know, a, a Clutch Tour event on their premises? Um, just get in, get in contact. Offer send an email. Good, yeah, send an email. <laughs> get in contact. Offer us a decent rate that we can that we can work with. Um and yeah, and then we'll go from there. Like I genuinely think whether it's Euro Pro or, you know, even the likes of Jamiga now as well, like I think golf clubs, more golf clubs should buy into professional golf in, in England. And I don't want to ruffle people's feathers, but too many golf clubs in England do a PGA. Obviously in, in England, it's probably the same in Ireland. You've got, the, you've got the PGA pros and you've got the, what I call like the tour, you know, the development tour pros, the mini tour pros who are doing it off their own back um, they haven't got a PGA qualification, so they can't play in the PGA events. PGA events are great for the PGA pros because they don't cost anything. Those guys have gone through their training, so the PGA put those events on for them. So it's low cost, and they can win smaller sums of money. But most golf clubs in England, because the PGA is, are, are who they are, most golf clubs in England just do one PGA Pro-Am a year, and they think that that's their contribution to pro golf done. 
And I'm, in my opinion, that's pretty poor. I mean, I think everyone undervalues and underestimates the, the importance of the mini tour golf scene for these guys developing. And I genuinely think like the mini tours, I know for a fact that people, people like EuroPro, Jamiga, us, we can offer way more value. Even, you know, there's another tour up north now called 2020 Pro Tour run by Chris Hansen, ex-European tour player. All of these tours now can offer way more exposure to these golf clubs than they would get through a PGA event. And that's not trying to ruffle people's feathers. That's just because all of these tours now are doing a really good job at creating their own little digital content packages, which obviously including beautiful scenery of the golf course. And we're paying, you know, the tours are paying for that. You know, you, you run a, you have a Euro Pro event, you're getting this guy's sports footage. Um, and, that, you know, there's a lot that can be said for that because... You know, the other thing is when you run a pro event, like yesterday, we had 80, 80 odd pros going there raving about the place. And they're kind of they're kind of your best advert because they're all using social media. A lot of them have got big audiences. Um, and then we have the content live golf, the live streaming. So you've got, you know, lots of views there. And I just think it should be considered much more closely by a lot more clubs as a good way to market their venue, um, especially because for a pro event, you're getting the golf course. Most golf courses will work hard to get the golf course in a great condition. Um, so you're advertising the golf course when it's at its best. And if you capture that on camera and you get the responses from the players, you know what they're talking about. There really shouldn't be any, any better advert. And I mean, pros are pretty picky as well. So if pros are raving about, if pros are raving about a venue and the hospitality and stuff, you should know that that, you know, that means that genuinely it was really good. Oh, absolutely. And like a, an event done right, everyone does rave about it and, and even for I suppose the, the marketing power or potential visibility you could give and, and with COVID you are allowed to do a pro-am day before the event so like the club could make its money back and then some with a properly run pro-am event and uh, that's yeah, the, the yeah, year agreed with commercials and stuff but. but it is a tricky one isn't it with social media people still find it hard to quantify what you know how how much money or how you know how beneficial is uh, you know a certain number of views on something on a video that you might create is still some people find it hard still to quantify the benefits of something like that but I mean if no one knows where your golf course is or no one's heard good or if no one's talking about your golf course and it's just your members turning up to play I think it's quite hard to grow the venue and I mean this year is an exceptional year because everyone has been playing golf but in years to come it's, you know hopefully it won't be like that and if clubs quiet enough again it's especially i think they really need to look at how they kind of promote their own brand absolutely and like, i'm not saying it's it's me like that's um that it's just me that's seen clubs pro tour here in ireland you know what i mean mm -hmm. so because of the partners you've involved it goes out onto all of their platforms as well um, yeah. you know that they're involved with posts and stuff so that's the reason I saw it I think it was through Connecticut I originally yeah. saw um, Clutch come up and then I looked in and then, oh there's a full tour on here and it's exceptionally professionally run in terms of the setup and this is just going from imagery you know um, on, on the yeah. Instagram uh, as my dad would say but like the courses you're playing I'm you know I have a little black book like a note on my iPhone it's like okay if I'm going to the UK this is my hit list. And because of clusters, a couple of, of ones I yeah. would never have dreamed, didn't even know they existed, you know, and yeah. if it's happening to one person. It's happening to, to 10 more. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it, there's good potential to do that. Like we went to a place called Enville a few weeks ago, um, which is like in the West Midlands, West of Birmingham. 
And to, to be honest, I hadn't really heard of it. And I hadn't really, and it sounds stupid because it's been, the club's been there for 150 years or what have you. And they've always had a strong membership, but I hadn't really heard of it. I hadn't really heard many other people talk about it. And honestly, I turned up there, was really impressed with the people there. Um, we agreed the event. And yeah, we had, we had 40 mile an hour winds on the day, which wasn't ideal. But I mean, in terms of a venue, an English club with two golf courses, there are very few better. I mean, the place is exceptional. It's got unbelievable practice facilities, one of the biggest and best driving ranges I've seen. They've got like 250 yards wide of perfect turf to hit off. Um, honestly, like a pro golfer's dream, really. Two mm. great golf courses, both perfectly. We were, we were technically actually on the second golf course. We weren't on their, their most highly ranked, but it was still brilliant. Um, and like, it was like, almost like uncovering a little gem. So hopefully they get some benefit from that because they really deserve it because it's a great venue. Oh, absolutely. So I suppose from from the get go of Clutch over the last eighteen months, and we'll take COVID aside, right? Well, we all know that's there. But what has been, I suppose, the hardest event or scenario that you've had to deal with under pressure, and why? Good question. Um, we've had a couple of COVID things. Um, we've obviously been testing players on site when they turn up. You know, temperature checks and stuff like that. And there's been a couple of situations where we've had to turn players away they haven't been able to compete um so that's been tricky uh the hardest situation oh we had a player we had a player hit on the full with the ball so someone some lads tried to take the corner off one of the holes he got you know taken to the ground and stuff and little things like that when you're, when you're emerging at the events business you know just that's a bit of an eye-opener and you know we need to have more medical medical staff on site and stuff like that. So that was pretty tricky to deal with, although the player handled it really well. Um, oh yeah, we had a tricky one. We turned up and the, um, the pro shop staff, the pro shop staff didn't know what time they were meant to be opening. So there were no range balls for the players. So me and the head greenkeeper had to break into the shed to get the range balls out, which was a rather interesting. So that was, but in, at the moment, like it sounds like a pretty trivial thing, but like, balls for players warming up for their tournament is pretty crucial and normally we have them laid out for the players at every event so when we can't get hold of any range balls and the guys have just paid 400 quid to play a tournament um yeah that was a pretty desperate thing so that was doesn't seem that important but at the, at the time i was panicking let me tell you well that almost doubles up as the tour tail as well so um uh, yeah. that's, that's a couple of great answers there so we get fired up and get straight into quick fire Q and A because you have to go back and organise another tournament. Um, yeah. So, Tom, what would your walk on song be? Eminem, an Eminem song, the one from Eight Mile. I got gotcha. you. Jim or pizza? Pizza. A man after me own heart. Hat, visor, or bucket hat? Visor when I was playing. Good man. You have to get some clutch buckets. They'll be yeah, good for that winter yeah. series, part of that yeah, player pack. <laughs> Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Tin Cup. Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? Masters every day. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Play or practice? I loved to practice when I was a player. I used to love bashing balls in the range. Oh, deadly. Now, avid listeners will know I've I've curtailed that down. I've got rid of like half of the questions because I have a new question. I have a new question. So it's it's more of a 
it's more of a story one. So I'm going to set the scene here. So this this week's Clutch Tour event is over. It's come to a close. Yeah. And you're having dinner to celebrate. And you have to pick six people. So who's yeah. at the dinner? Anyone. anyone dead, anyone, alive, anyone, celeb, anyone. golfer, the six wife, people. the kids, anyone. Six people. Uh, I'd have to choose. I'd have to say Lily, my fiance, so she killed me. Uh, Tiger Woods. Johnny Wilkinson. David Beckham. Mm, how many what? Is that four or five? You have two to go. You have four done. Two to go. Two to go. Be- uh, best friend, Tom Hurd. You've got, you got to have a best mate there. Um, good question. Barack Obama. I've had two commonalities already. Why, um, why David Beckham? No, I was a Man United fan. Used to love him. Used to think I could, you know, rock the curtains. I pretty much followed all of his haircuts when I was growing up. Johnny Wilkinson was just like an absolute idol in terms of professionalism. Read all his books. I did some work personally with Dave Allred, who obviously coached him goal kicking. Um, met Johnny Wilkinson. You know, when you meet your idol as well and you hope they're going to be everything you want them to be. And Johnny Wilkinson, the two times I met him, was exactly that. So that was pretty cool. Tiger Woods, just because he's Tiger. Um, we'd love to pick his We'd love to pick his brains about golf. Um, I don't really know why I said Obama. Just be interested. Someone needs to talk. Huh? He's good yeah. at talking. So he's yeah, good at talking. He's good at talking, yeah. No, fair juice. No, I asked about Bex because he, he was all over my wall as a... Uh, when I was ten or eleven as well, so um, I don't know. You know, know, like certain players, certain people. It's a bit like it's a bit like the tiger. I don't know. It's obviously it's, golf is still exciting, and I still will watch it for hours on end. But it's still nowhere near as exciting as when Tiger's in the mix. It doesn't matter who's up there. For me, it doesn't matter who who's up there at the moment, whether it's DJ, Rory. Um, it's still not quite the same. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. It's just still not quite the same as when Tiger's in the mix. Me watching Beckham, like, you know, he would go missing for quite large parts of a match, but then he had a bit of flair, you know, he had a bit of flair, a bit of, you know, I don't know, he had a temper on him as well, and you never quite knew what was going to happen next with him. So, I don't know, it's just that that little X factor, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely is. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tom. I wish you and, and the Close Pro Tour, I'd be following it very closely and sharing and retweeting everything I see. And uh, wish you all the success going forward. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. That was a great chat with Tom Hayward. And man, did I learn a lot about what goes into running a tour, let alone an event. And what an initiative the Clutch Pro Golf Tour is. A really good high quality with an open access policy to both men and ladies alike and amateurs and maybe even the likes of you and me, you know, who are aspiring to get to low, low handicaps. Some of us will never get there. That's me, not you. Um, but for the fledgling pros out there and pros looking to make a way for themselves in, in the in the rankings and, and the tours, there are some great like guarantees and incentives with the Clutch Pro Golf Tour, which Tom has put in place, such as the price fund of twenty five k and first prizes of eleven grand, and even a new car worth twenty grand. So I know a couple of fledgling pros who would who would greatly appreciate the chance to even be in the running to win to win some um, some monetary values such as those. Because it ain't all private jets and FedEx Cups and $50 million prize funds. 
that is the top percentile of the world and the, the vast majority such as many other industries there is a lot of people putting in a lot of hard graft uh, to get by for doing something they love if you did enjoy this episode please do share it with your family your friends join the old Paddy Golf uh, timesheet on paddygolf.com but leave a review worst case scenario leave another review there uh, rankings aren't looking too bad now so um, thank you all very much for pressing play have a really, 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 really good chat lined up for next week. You don't want to miss. You don't want to miss next week. It's um, it's a good one. It's a good one. A bit of crack as well, um, and it's another cork man. So you know, I'm like the, I'm like the echo at this stage. But yeah, I'll stop talking now. Enjoy the rest of your day, your evening, uh, wherever you're listening to this. Um, thank you for pressing play again. Until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy. An extra little bonus question for those of you who actually do listen this long and to the outro music. My God, you are diligent. But I do have a question for you. If you like this outro music, let me know. But do you know that intro music? Let me know if I should do a new one. Because it's old now. I still like it. But um, if you think it's due a change, let me know. But anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye now. This is the longest outro I've done in a while. We, know, we don't normally get to the Matt and Kim daylight, you know, when the bass comes in. But yeah, I'm, I'll go away now. Bye.